All right, it's DT Systems, dog tested and dog tough. You know, we like that dog in them, baby. We've been using the H2O1820. Over the last several months, we've been playing with this unit. Our friends at Standing Stone Kennels, Ethan and Kat, they've been using it for years, and we've been playing with it. We really like it. I think for the dog trainer, the hunter, and the guy or gal who's training their dog to get ready for duck season, we'll really enjoy the 1820. Super reliable, super consistent, great unit for you and your dogs. H2O1820. Dog tested. Dog. Gunner Kennels, baby. Hashtag man's best kennel. Well, it's also now hashtag man's best food crate. It's freaking raccoon proof. You can't get into this thing. Your dog can't bust into the lid and eat all the food. Trust me. I know Memphis has done it in the past. She looks like a blown up pumpkin. Boom. But not anymore. We've got the Gunner Kennel food crate. It's easy to pack. Easy to store, keeps food dry, which food's an investment, man. That Purina, baby, it ain't cheap anymore, so keep it dry, good, all that stuff. Easy to pack, easy to store. The Gunner Kennel Food Crate, slide into DMs if you'd like to learn more. Force Fetch, what is it? It's super intimidating to so many people, yet it's not that difficult. I built a step-by-step process that helps you understand it. You and your dog can be successful in it and it takes the intimidation away of the process so that you and your dog can get to your goals. That's what it's built for. Let me teach you how I do it so that you and your dog can do it. Different breeds, different personalities, problem solving, and more. Check it out. Links in the description. The Force Fetch Course. Baby. It's the big show. The big four oh. Episode forty, Kevin. How's it feel? Feels like we're over the hill. Man. Feels good. We're on the downward slope of our career here. Oh, I've been on the <laughs> downward slope for a while. We're not on the upswing. Oh my god. Hey, we all hit forty. This is episode forty, everyone. Thank you for joining us uh on another delightful episode of lone ducks gun dog chronicles thank you all for listening tonight um people tonight would, we got our people would stop listening if you yeah talk, they just got creeped like out the whole time people driving to work hey feeling you. real creepy like they hey gotta you. look over their shoulder tomorrow's hump day buddy Ooh, get you some <laughs> all right hey we got a cool episode coming up uh we're gonna talk a little bit about my recent pheasant grouse and woodcock hunt this morning, Tuesday morning, Opener. um, it was really fun, but we'll get into that in a second. And then we're going to do some Instagram Q and a, we've had a lot of questions, but let's do a little housekeeping here. Big thank you to waypoint outdoor collective, a great group of people. We're proud to be a part of their system. They support us and other podcasters. So check them out. You can you can do it, baby. We're fueled up, digging it. The dogs are doing well. I got a lot of really good things to say. They do a lot of science behind the food. They worry about nutrients versus ingredients. Um, They're pulling the best parts of the ingredients out and formulating it and breaking it down so it's bioavailable. 
to your dog, that means they are getting the most out of the food. Um, I've gotten the opportunity over the last, I don't know, two or three months to travel with Yukonuba and speak with their head veterinarians that do... Man, actually, a lot of I sound like an idiot, but no, no but they're they they're the research, research yeah. veterinarians. They're, the they're behind it. They're the doctors of pulling and gathering information on what formulas are working, what shaped kibbles are working, why it's good, what are they doing to innovate, and um, truthfully, it's a little mind blowing, and I have to digest a lot of it. Pun intended. Get it? Dog Hey-o. food, digest it, get it. But anyways, Yukonuba, if you're interested in trying it, I would highly recommend it. One of the things that, you know, I have been recommending to people is there's different Yukonuba formulas, okay? So you've got Yuk Puppy, which 0 to 12 months uh, is what you should be doing. Then <clears throat> there is an adult formula, and that is... Don't quote me, but I want to say it's 23% protein, 16% fat. And that's a great formula. Like, we all want the sporting dog blend. We all want the 30-20 because it's got a cool picture of a German short hair. And we... You want to think that your dog's this high-running, high-octane, fueled-up athlete right. superhero. And it is. But... Every day? So, exactly, Kevin. These dogs, if you're going home from work and throwing bumpers and you know in the backyard for 20 minutes and then he's sleeping in a crate or on the couch the rest of the time, maybe the 3020 isn't the best bet for you. Maybe the adult breed, which is a very similar formula, it's just not as high octane, is going to be better for your dog. Um, if you're running your dog, trialing, training, hunting hard, your guide, your a pointer guy and you're running 20 miles a day, that 30, 20 is going to be more your style and it's going to keep weight on your dogs and going to fuel them for success. But no matter what, any of those formulas are designed to build a good athlete. It's just what athlete are you? Are you the three days a week going to the gym or are you the morning before work going to the gym, do a run on your lunch and go to the gym again after work kind of guy or girl? You know what I mean? That's that person is yeah. eating differently than the guy who's going three days a week. Right. Imagine um, being that guy. Good lord, I wish I was that guy again. I've been lazy. All right, enough about Uke. Now, proud to announce formally, we worked a deal out with Gunner Kennels. We've had them on our podcast. Uh, I forget what episode, but you can scroll back. These. This company is class act, and as a a podcaster, as a dog trainer, as a company, we want to partner with people that we believe do their best and provide their best because that's what we do. Not just their best, the best. Yeah, good point. Yeah, the best. So we're really proud to have Gunner Kennels as a sponsor of our podcast and Instagram. We're going to do... And have kind of started already writing articles for their website as well as video tips like one minute Instagram video tips where we're helping you visually via Gunner Kennel's Instagram train your dog. 
So we're super excited about this little partnership we got rolling on with Uke, Waypoint, and Gunner. And lastly, a big shout out to all you who have gone to our website and supported the podcast by ordering t-shirts and hats. Can't thank you enough. Uh, We've got e-collars, wingers, and then a clothing line that supports our lifestyle, guys. The Unspoken Bond, making memories with your gun dog, training, hunting, family, all that good stuff. The Unspoken Bond. Check it out at LoneDuckOutfitters.com. And if you didn't hear last week's episode, we had a sweet announcement. Drumroll. Old bird dog, the birdie, the golden retriever. Kevin's personal family and hunting dog is Preggers. And by Preggers, I mean about to pop. Any day now, really. I think the due date's what, Kevin? October 11 to 15, based on which breeding took. Right. I mean, she is about to burst. She's healthy. She's looking good. So everybody, please say a little prayer for the bird over the next couple weeks as she prepares to give birth to her litter. And if you're interested in getting on our list, we have several people that have reached out and filled out our form. And we'll be notified when the puppies are born of male, female numbers and all that jazz. If you'd like to be added to that list for a wonderful field bred, father's a master hunter, qualified all age dog, beautiful, about 80, 75 to 80 pounds golden retriever, big blocky, beautiful dog and talented. And then bird is on the smaller side, maybe 55 ish pounds, dark red in color. They will be bred to hunt hunt test and be family members so get on that list if you're interested and kevo let's get into the show oh yeah so you took a nice little hunt this morning for up in new york we had our woodcock and grouse opener in certain parts and so you took a little road trip with our buddy nick and matt and uh how'd that go um phenomenal who'd you so what what dogs you take sure so I got a guy that has been working for me all summer. His name is Jim, and he's fantastic. And he showed up. Yeah, he's the best. Well, anyways, Jim took care of the puppy or all the dogs this morning and got them out to the fields and started training without me. So I was fortunate enough to actually take a little breather a half a day. And my friend Nick, who owns Huey, which just got his prize one in NAVDA. And then my other buddy, Matt, who owns Izzy, which is another dog I ran utility test like two years ago with. And the three of us, and I took Andy, my English setter. Andy's a little bit more blue collar. Does Andy have any titles? No. She just got birds. Yeah. I'll tell you what. Andy outpointed them for the first portion. She didn't really outpoint them, but she had the first two points. Yeah. And I was like, ooh boys suck it <laughs> and the girl, raggedy yeah the raggedy andy girl um it was a really fun hunt so pheasant opened in the northern zone of new york and like in new york we don't have wild pheasants so the state has a program and releases pheasants on certain portions of state land and that's basically what we targeted and so the first like two hours of our hunt we pushed fields and hedgerows and into some of the woods and i think we had five birds and pheasants yeah 
that's maybe pretty four, good. maybe four. Don't quote me on it, but four to five pheasants and a few birds. Excuse me, uh, a few birds bumped out ahead of us. You know, in the woods. I think they were running, and somebody gave chase and flushed it out of range. And you know, you could hear it. That's my that's my that's my rooster cackle. That's pretty good. It could be worse. Could be worse. So they bumped those ones, but overall. But anyway, so we had bird contact, and it just was constantly fun and laughing, and the dogs were doing really well working together, and it was fun. Hotter than. Well, it wasn't too bad first thing in the morning, and then it got really, really warm. Apparently, record high temperature. Eighty-eight or something today. Yeah, in you know for New York today, so. It was a hot one, but we kept the dogs hydrated and took some breaks here and there, and we stayed hydrated. But um, after that, Matt had to go to work, so Nick, Huey, Andy, and I pushed some woodcock cover. And Andy, For anyone listening, because a lot of people maybe down south and, well, a lot of places, I guess, don't woodcock hunt as much as maybe we do, but like, what's the difference between... You're out pheasant hunting, walking fields, and then what does it change to look like woodcock cover? So we're hunting young growth forest and wetter ground. So the woodcock are digging, you know, poking their long nose into the ground for grub and worms and all that jazz. So you're looking for moist soil in young growth forest. And that's exactly what we found. And... I think we had seven or eight woodcock encounters. Really? A few shots, no hits. I I missed one layup. Andy came around a corner. It's super. If you ever have done this, you know what I'm talking about. It's tight. It's snaggly, you know, snaggly and thorns, and you're climbing over and under, and it's yeah. a it's a rodeo. So I'm kind of just. You always kind of have your gun ready to shoulder and shoot. You don't even aim. You just instinctually pull up and pull the trigger. And uh, she comes around the corner and locks up. And as she locks up, the woodcock goes up. So she, like, bumped it but pointed. Yeah. So um, it rose directly straight vertical into the air. And I'm like, oh, you are done. <laughs> Just the most, I felt so relaxed, like, ha, ha, oh, <laughs> and this thing just like a helicopter sky opened up a little bit, a little bit. And I had an opening to shoot. Like it no wasn't way. through the trees or really? branches. It was like there sun glistened on it. I mean, it was mint. How far, how far away was it? That's the kicker. It was very close to me. So I had, I what was is very close to you. Uh, Five yards, ten yeah, yards? Yeah, five yards. Oh, so I mean, it, yeah, right in close. the old face. Yeah. But again, it's like, it's just right there, and I've got the time in the world and opening to see it and shoot it. So the kicker was I was going to wait till it crested the trees and pull the trigger because what they'll do is they'll rise up and then launch out straight. Yep. So instead of having like a crossing shot or a, an away shot or wherever he decided to fly to, as soon as he peaked, I was going to pull the trigger. And allow them to get a little away a tiny bit. Exactly. Pattern. Yeah. So I've got. What were you shooting? Matt, who was hunting with us, actually gifted me this unbelievable 1900s, like, like 1900 
1900 is not that long ago. Uh, 120 years ago. I meant like, you know, 190. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not like 1990. Yeah, yeah. 1999. Yeah, 1905-ish era gun. It's a 16-gauge Ithaca. Cool. And it has a matching. Close to home. Yeah, matching three-barrel set. So a 30-inch barrel, a 26-inch barrel, and a 22-inch barrel. So I had the 22-inch barrels side-by-side. Wow. Yeah. That's a short. Yeah, but think about it. When you're in that tight, thick cover, it it makes sense. But, man, that's like. It's pretty sweet. It's like a Rambo sawed-off. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Deal. So, but, but in all honesty, I don't shoot it as well. And it's got full chokes. They all are full choke. That's what it was like back then. So it's full no choke. Way. You're shooting those RST light loads. Oh, okay, yeah, for yeah. the old guns, right? And um, and I I've shot it before on clay birds and was not good at it. <laughs> Where when I pull out the Browning Satori that I shoot all the time and I'm comfortable with it, like I'm just more confident, right? Yeah. But no excuse. Like it still was that ah uh-huh, uh-huh, moment where I'm gonna just blister this woodcock. Nope, missed. Yelled out to Nick here. You know here he comes. He flew right over Nick's head. No he, way. He didn't see it. I was bummed because it it was directly over top of where he was and who he was. But anywho, that was like the cool woodcock. You know, encounter everything else was really thick, and you could hear them whistle and yeah. fly away. But Man, you might catch cool. a glimpse, and you might not. Did you? So, with him being that close, and and kind of having almost a little bit of time, which is like a second, but yeah, it's still I mean, really fast. Yeah. But it just it's it's slowed down. Like, I don't know. Were you able to get a look at him at all? Yeah, like I told you, the God sun. shone down through the heavens, and and the sun. I mean, Kev, I'm not. I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. It was like the most beautiful shot of a woodcock rising from the ground. Yeah, but I missed the first part. So we enter this field, and we're gonna go into the woodcock cover. Right. Andy locks up on point. Huey turns, whips around. Boom! He's on point now too, and they're both pointed into the woods, and we're like. Woodcock, here we come, baby. Yeah. Not a so bad opener. I go or, or pheasant. That's yeah. what we thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really. So I go, all right, I'm gonna go in and push out towards you, Nick, so that if it were a pheasant, it's gonna fly to the clearing and he's gonna get a shot, or I might get a shot, but that was a game plan. So I go in and boom, here goes the grouse. And it's a crossing shot through the trees, and it's like a good glimpse, and I just swing and pull the trigger. One shot. And I'm like, oh, my God, I missed him. And Nick's now like, we're in grouse country. Uh, we weren't really expecting it, basically. So we're fired up. We're like, all right, it, new mission. We're yeah. not looking for pheasants anymore in the field. We're going into this stuff and we're going to look for woodcock and grouse. No way. Yeah. Super what a cool morning. Dude. So now we're like, let's go, you know, let's go see if we can explore. And it went this away. So let's go that way. Well, we spread out, you know, the dogs are hunting and Andy gets birdie. 
So I'm just standing still. We're quiet, you know, trying to be as quiet as possible. And, and just I'm letting Andy work and Nick's 50 yards away or something. And he's working Huey and we're just doing our thing. And we kind of developed this little like whistle system just to know because it's so thick in there. Like, yeah. yeah, you're in blaze orange, but I can see 20 feet in front of me. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we just would whistle back and forth to each other every five, ten minutes just in case you got a shot. You knew where your buddy was for sure. Um, so if you've ever, you know, wondered how to do that, we kind of mastered it today and it worked out great. Plus it also in my head kind of kept the dogs. If they were out of sight, they kind of knew our general location. Yeah. Too. They knew where you're at too. Now when on, on that note of keeping track of where people are at and things, uh, were, did you have a bell on the dogs or are you Nick bell guys or no? So we didn't doing? do bells. Um, uh, we didn't even do the Hawk screamers or anything like that. No. So it was just all natural, e-collar on the dog, and keep an eye on them, try and keep them within a certain distance, and, uh, you know, whatever. So, anywho, I'm just standing there, and Andy's birdie, whipping around, tails cracking, and... Trying to find it. And I'm thinking, I'm about to get another point, so I'm I'm strategically finding a clearing to where if it were to bust, I could have a shot instead of being in thick stuff. Right. I look down, and two feet from me... Is a dead grouse. No way. The one I had shot. <laughs> yes. No yes. So we had gone in that direction, and yeah. we had walked maybe 30, 40, 50 yards. So I, I didn't smear it. Like, I crippled it or, you know, just a lucky pellet. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. Uh, a lucky pellet, and it, it died. I mean... Piled up, warm still, no rigor mortis. I mean, it was it was freshly within the last minute dead, and uh, I'm like, this can't be mine. And well, Nick's like, dude, it's yours. I'm like, yeah, but and he's like, no, this is how it goes sometimes. Like, you had a you had a shot, you took a shot, and we follow up on that shot, and you found your bird. Like, yeah, it just kind of like a crippled duck. It soared and fell and expired yeah and uh that's the second grouse i've ever killed first grouse I ever killed was over izzy with matt and you yep um and it was a juvenile bird and just a huge prize but this was over andy yeah and huey who i'm super both of those dogs i'm super proud of and love yeah it was very Man. fulfilling what a day yeah and then, we, day. then nick had two shots at two more grouse How'd that go for him? Um, missed, but <laughs> dude, I, it's so no, hard I to know. hit him. I just I can't not bust balls. Yeah, he's absolutely. a much better shot than I am, but I still have to take shots when take, you can take digs. Yeah. So, anywho, it was um, just one of those days where I had, you know, I was quote unquote off from dog training for like four hours, but it felt like a day off, and it yeah. felt relaxing, and it felt great to watch the dogs work after putting all that time and energy into them and i loved it it was no so much way fun. I'm, well that's what it's about man like you spend all year all year traveling all over the place working with dogs 6 a.m to past dark for that moment you know for that okay andy's getting birdie she knows what to do we've worked on this we've done it before i know what she looks like Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah, it, it's, no, it's, it was like a, it was exactly what we work for, and it was nice because the next month, like from October seventh until October 
30th. I'm going to be out of town training for the Master National in Georgia and South Carolina. You know, we'll be having fun, don't get me wrong, but we aren't, you know, I'm going to miss all of duck season or uh, the first split of duck season here in New York. I'm going to miss most of grouse and woodcock. And, you know, it's just this was the opportunity to go out and be with friends and enjoy my dog. And it was great. For sure. I mean, and I I got a grouse like, yeah, icing on the cake, baby. Yeah, I I guess my phone was off. I don't know. Yeah. Sorry, buddy. So before we kick it over to our Instagram live Q&A, I want to give a, a shout out to our sponsor, Gunner Kennels. Huey and Andy were riding in style in their Gunner Kennels today, and both dogs, after a hard day, were absolutely exhausted. And Gunner sent us the orthopedic dog bed that is custom fit to their kennel. And you could just tell. I mean, dude, she was white. And when she got in the kennel and laid down, it was like, Ah, here's where I need to be, yeah, baby. And she just relaxed and cozied up. And after pounding and running and and jumping and hitting thorns and sticks, like you could just tell that she was relaxed and comfortable. And the other cool benefit of that is we've got an old dog. You know, Buck is nine and a half years old, and when he rides in the kennel, I don't really want him bouncing around on the hitting, you know, potholes and whatever yeah. on his old joints. That orthopedic bed. It's well-made, so it's durable, and then it's just that extra comfort and support for his old joints, so big shout-out to them, and kind of like a little mini tip, if you've got an older dog, that orthopedic bed is legit, and even if you don't have an older dog, but it's probably old enough to, like, I mean, Andy's just a blue-collar workhorse, and she's sore. I mean, you don't have to be old to get sore. Exactly. You know? Good point. Yeah, that's exactly the point I'm trying to make is it's not just for old dogs. You want to give your dog who just worked their tail off for you some extra padding, some extra comfort rolling down the road. Check it out. It's definitely worth it. Um, Gunner Kennels orthopedic pad. And we are now live on Instagram. So Kevin is going to rip off question number one. Yeah. Before I do that, though, I want to follow up on uh, last weekend. We had a really, or last week, last week's episode, 39. Check it out. It was awesome. Uh, We talked about how you want to stake down a dog always during a field goose hunt from now on. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you want to shed any light on your thoughts behind that, but we found, so we talked about, like, wouldn't it be cool if there was a... Well, we, yeah, so I'll follow yeah, up on sure. that real quick. So last week in the episode where someone had asked a question about breaking and whatnot, and I had reflected on last year's hunt with Matt Peel, who has also been on the podcast. Good buddy. Check him out. Yep. Goose Creek Sika. I think there's some underscores in there. Matt Peel. But anywho, um, Memph, Master Hunter, Memphis, best dog around broke and almost got her butt shot so you know a dog who breaks first of all a dog who breaks every time is just that's bad but any dog who wants it bad enough is gonna break it's not a matter of if yeah it's a matter of when and that when can be deadly 
And it was a super eye-opening experience to watch my prized possession, Memphis, my best buddy, like the queen of the kennel, run in front of six gun barrels after a goose. That goose, I promise you, is not worth my dog getting shot. So last week we made a comment about, I know there's a system out there to quickly release your dog and stake them out so when you're hunting you can just flick a tab and bingo, they're off and running. And thank you to everybody. Yeah, we had a I lot mean, of We people. had several people write in and the correct response, and we're going to reach out to them to maybe do like a test and like try it out because I can't personally speak to how it works or like the quality or anything like that. So I before I fully endorse, I but I do think this idea is phenomenal and I want you all to like do a little Googling and check it out, but it's, Gun Dog Outdoors Quick Release Safety System. And it's basically exactly what I envisioned as well. Like, you don't have to reach over and unsnap them or anything like that. You just pull a little rip cord, say the dog's name, and they go. If they were to break, it's going to hold them back. But if they don't break and you send them, you can just pull the little tab and they're off and running. So, Gun Dog Outdoors Quick Release Safety System. Again, you know... Your dog hasn't broke, they're gonna. It happens to the best of us. So, um, big shout out to Gun Dog Outdoors for the innovation. We w- are going to probably test it out and see how it goes. But anywho, if you're interested, check them out. Uh, Rick or Beware is interested in uh, starting dog on blinds. You give him a quick how-to. Probably not a quick one. No, not a quick one. Can but you still give it a how-to? Sure. So. You know, it depends on where his dog is at. I like to do force fetch. Force fetch is a, the process of teaching the dog how to learn, turning pressure off. Then we force them to a pile so they learn the, to turn pressure off by driving to a pile and picking a bumper up. You can do it without using an e-collar and force, but it takes a lot longer. And, you know, you don't have that backup system in place if the dog doesn't go or doesn't understand, you know, where I could give them like a really low nick and... Oh, yep, I got to go. Okay. Um, So I force to a pile, and then I teach three-handed casting or mini T, and that's, you know, bumpers over here, bumpers over there, and bumpers behind them. And I will toss a bumper, sit them in front of me, facing me, kind of like a pitcher's mound. If you can envision you are at home plate, dog is at the pitcher's mound, there's a bumper at first base, and I've got a bumper in my hand. I throw the bumper in my hand over to the other bumper at first base. Tweet. Blow my whistle. Dog looks at me. Good dog. Over. And sometimes they'll balk at you. Sometimes they'll be like, no, you told me, Sid, I'm not moving. So I'll say, fetch, over. Fetch, over, 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 over. Okay, hop, hop, over. And then, boom. They go and get it, and you celebrate. Put them back in the center. Do it again, do it again, do it again. Then do leftovers. Then do left backs. Then do right backs. Um, All this during this process, I'm teaching the dog to sit on a whistle, which, you know, I've covered in other podcasts, so I'm not going to go into it real in depth right now. But um, you teach it at heel first. Then you teach it when the dog's coming back with a bumper. And then you teach it going away. Can you jump into that just a tiny bit? Because that was another question someone just wrote in was, that their dog does a really good job sitting on the whistle at heel, but then when they move out a little bit further, we're in Struggleville. 
Okay. Um, and we're kind of like bleeding into that anyway. So yeah, sure. No, good question. Um, it is challenging. It's challenging for me. Every dog is different. So some dogs take to it really easily and simple. Other dogs, you got to really figure out how to get them to correlate the whistle means sit and it means sit anywhere. So if you're out running around and I blow a whistle, turn and sit. Um, so there's a couple ways to skin that cat. Um, man, I mean, you can do healing sticks, you can do fun bumpers where they're just like airing out in the yard, blow your whistle and they kind of turn and look at you and just go sit, toot, sit, toot, sit, dog sits, throw them a fun bumper. Now, every time they hear that whistle, they're expecting a fun bumper and are, are excited to turn around and look at you and get that fun bumper. Um, I tend to revert to a, a weird technique, a difficult technique, probably not for the faint of heart and probably not for everybody, but it works and it takes me three to five days versus two months. Um, Oh, another w- way you can do it is like have a long check cord on the dog, send the dog out on the f- you know pile, and then as soon as they're about to hit the tip of the check cord, you blow the whistle and you hang on to the end of the check cord and whips them around. Two good dog back, um, so that when they sit, they start to associate. I better sit my butt down, or I'm right because they're about to get yanked by a check cord at right. the end, right? So that's another way you can do it. But the other way that I've found to be most easy and successful and quick time because i don't have a lot of time i got to get them to learn quickly is you strap their e-collar around their waist with the prongs facing down on their spine like above their hips basically and you start at heel toot with a nick or a low continuous stimulation until their butt hits the ground praise the heck out of them generally speaking every time you do this It's going to be weird for the dog. They are going to whip around, spin in circles, bite at the collar. It's going to feel really weird to them to have something strapped around their waist. Ride it out. Get them comfortable with it. Walk them around. Don't put pressure on them. Just let them get comfortable wearing that thing around their waist. Throw them a few fun bumpers. Help them feel more comfortable with it. Once they're comfortable with it, then you can go to, like, you know, whistle, nick, whistle, nick at heel then you can do it out in front of you i like to sit the dog down walk 25 30 yards call them to me whistle sit with the pressure you know you're just trying to get the dog to learn and understand that when that butt hits the ground the e-collar stimulation is turned off and they get praised it's not rocket science but it's not this part that little technique is not super easy either so that's how i teach it um and then it correlates to the neck collar, which they're used to, and you're off and running and teaching and showing and being patient, and it's a process. This is not, even though I said the that little thing it takes me three to five days, that is not how long it takes to teach a dog to properly sit on a whistle. I mean, it still takes time, it takes repetition, and it takes patience. So, so anyway, who, uh, once you're sitting on a whistle and you do T pattern, like the big T pattern where you can send them from your side, they're driving to the back pile that's maybe 60, 70, 80 yards away. You can stop them at the pitcher's mound and cast them overs and you can cast them back. Now you can go on to things like lining pass or pattern blinds or white pole blinds with 
a milk jug or a bucket, white bucket on top, and you're teaching them everything that they learned at T-Pattern now goes out into the field. And this is where you aren't using pressure. You're using things like what's called attrition. Attrition is like oh, the definition of attrition. Um, I don't really know the definition, the the Webster Dictionary definition, but basically the example I would give is like I send a dog out on back. They're running full steam ahead. I blow my whistle. I give them a right angle back. And they go left. Mm, no. Toot. Verbal no. Call them towards you where they screwed up. Blow the whistle again and try your right back again. That would be attrition. Um, verse. That's like indirect pressure. That's, hey, this is where you screwed up. I'm going to show you again. This is no pressure. It might be perceived pressure where the dog's like, ooh, I didn't do it right. It also is breaking their momentum in the direction they want to go. So you're breaking that momentum in the direction they want to go, bring them back to where they broke down and made the mistake, and then get your cast again. Um, But, again, no pressure to low pressure in the beginning, and you're just helping them get to the blind. Distance erodes control. So if you have a 150-yard blind at – 75 yards and you blow that whistle, they might do great. At 120 yards, they might be like, meh, here's the bird, Bob. Middle finger bird, not the real bird that you're looking for him to go get. Get me? So they're blowing you off because that distance now erodes your control. They think they can get away with stuff when they're further away. So what you can do when you're starting out, you kick the dog off back. And as they're leaving you, you just walk out. And as they're like, you know, a fast dog, you can kind of like lightly jog and follow them. If they're slow, you just walk out. And when you blow your whistle, now you're 50 yards away. Get your cast. Keep walking out. Blow your whistle. <laughs> you're still 50 yards away. Get your cast. Blow your whistle. Nope, you're still 50 yards away. Get your cast. So you've simplified. Um, the other thing that a lot of people will do is they'll set up 30-yard blinds thinking that's easy. In fact, I think that's way harder because there's less room for mistake, okay? You have to be darn near perfect to get to a 30-yard blind. You'd be have to whistle, 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 whistle to get them there. Every whistle you're blowing to a young dog is slowing momentum. They're confused at what you're asking of them. You're hacking it up, and they're you're taking away confidence. When you're running blinds, you want confidence. So, in fact... A white pole with a big white bucket on it at 150 yards is way easier, or 100 yards, whatever, is way easier than a 30-yard blind, okay? So that way, if you give them a right angle back and they kind of kind of sort of take it, let them take it. Build momentum. Hey, you didn't – I gave you a right angle back and you didn't take a left over. Good dog. Go. Run. All right. Tweet. All right, I'm going to give you a left angle back, and you sort of kind of take it. Let them take it. They have no idea where you're sending them, okay? You have to build confidence and show them where to go and that they're going to be successful. If you hack it up and tweet, 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 tweet during their blinds when they're learning, 
you're going to erode confidence. They're going to pop. They're going to be confused. They're not going to try hard, and you're out. So build confidence. Let them roll. And uh, I don't know. That's the best I can come up with. It's really hard to get a dog to run blinds, and it's not something that, like, young dogs do. I mean, this takes time. Take your time, be patient, and uh, build to it. Make sure your foundation is there to be able to go to that step. You out of breath? Man. I'm a little out of breath, and I need another bush latte. All right, well, I, well go mm. ahead. Give me your next question, uh, Eric had a really good question. Um, what do you do? Oop, I lied. Eric was the one who asked about sitting on a whistle. Sorry, Eric. Uh, had another good question. Um, somebody was curious about um, when you're forcing a dog to a pile and then the dog's kind of shopping around and they get to a pile and there's 10 bumpers there. Do you care which bumper they pick up or is it kind of like, yep, bring me a bumper? Great question. Uh, a lot of people will get bent out of shape about it. I don't care. 99% of the time. I don't care. Can I ask why? Uh, like, like why are I have some bigger fish picky? to fry? I'll answer the, yeah, I, it's, a, I, it's a phenomenal question. I have bigger fish to fry. So the reason they're shopping for the, at the, they, they call it shopping at the pile, meaning they get to a pile and there's six, 10 bumpers there and they pick one up, drop it, 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 pick one up. Okay. I'll take this one and go. That's shopping the pile. There's a few things I don't like about shopping the pile. I think some dogs will do it to procrastinate doing the work. So if they have a poor work ethic or attitude during the drill work and they shop the pile because if I stay out here and pick up every bumper and drop every bumper, then I don't have to go back to Bob and do it again. That poor work ethic will get a correction, and the correction will be here, Nick, here, or fetch nick fetch but really it's 99 percent here nick here or like a low continuous burn until they pick one up and decide to come if it's not a major problem and they pick one up and drop it pick one up drop it pick one up and haul butt back and they're trying hard and they got a good attitude i'm generally not going to nitpick them on that kind of thing because we have so much more to learn that, that drill has to offer than a dog that just uh, is excited and is like oh bumper oh another bumper oh oh another bumper no they're you know if they got a poor work ethic i'm gonna address it kind of you know clark kennington in one of our podcasts that's his main time he's going to correct a dog is poor work ethic and lack of effort if the dog is shopping the pile because it's uh resenting the work and not trying hard i'll give here nick here if they're just doing it because they're excited and it's you know three seconds of them screwing around at the pile versus a minute yeah, a minute, no go. Th three seconds, five seconds of picking one or two up, I don't care. Just get back here. Let's keep working. I uh, had a really good question. How do I get my super high-driving dog to stop lifting their butt on a shot and half-stepping, then resitting from excitement? So kind of creeping forward. How do I get my dog to be steady, be patient? Um. There's several ways you can do it. Is that during a hunt or is that during a hunt test or training? Uh, the way in which it was kind of like brought over Instagram was very informal. And I'd say probably like sitting at the line. Uh, yeah, if they're still watching, you know, maybe they'll answer quickly. But in essence, 
there's a few ways to skin this cat where the dog isn't breaking, but they're scooting forward or creeping. Training, um, he said. Thanks. Okay. Well, yeah, in training. But, dude, you're training. You have no reason that that dog has to pick that bird up. So I'm going to hear Nick hear it or healing stick it, whatever the case may be, but that dog is not getting that bumper or bird. I'm going to walk out and pick it up, or I'm going to have my bird boy go and pick it up. So you treat it as a denial. Yep. I'm denying the dog to retrieve from moving, and I'm giving a sharp, depending on the dog, depending on the personality, but if it's high drive and it's wild, then I'm going to give it a good, strong correction to get my point across, either with a healing stick or e-collar, and get the dog back to me, and I'm going to have that bird get picked up. They get rewarded for sitting still. No creeping allowed. That's how I would do it. I mean. Yeah. No, that makes sense. You know, sense. the other you thing gotta is, be too. very clear and consistent that that yep. is not okay. You know who else does this? May May does it. May's a phenomenal dog. So what I'll do is, you know, generally speaking in training, she doesn't do it. It's only at a test. She'll do it. Or maybe if we're running a triple, she'll do it by, on the third bird or something. So in order to get a correction, in order to have a teaching moment, when she's super hyper-focused and she's not creeping, I'll take a step backwards. So she'll watch the mark go down. I'll take a step backwards while that mark's going down. And now I'm going to get a here with a low burn back to me. And she's going to think she crept because I'm two feet behind her. Right. So now I'm getting a correction, even if she was okay. Well, to remind her. Yeah. In training, she's always okay. She's a stud. But in a test with no e-collar and the excitement of a test and all that jazz or a hunt where, you know, guns are going off and stuff's going on, she's going to creep. It happens. So I'm going to create, I'm going to fake her out and back up a few steps. And all of a sudden she's like, oh, look at me. Oh, God. And I'm getting pressure. Sit. Pick that bird up. Thank you. Let's go. Nice. Uh, had a good question that somebody just wrote in. And are we going to... Master National. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, and then my dog uh, struggles with picking up different birds at a junior hunt test. He is flawless in training, but's failed half, three out of six. Uh, lines it, finds it, sticks his nose at it, and then decides, mm, nah, doesn't want to pick it up. That's a toughie. Mm. Tough one to swallow. Yeah. Um, you got an issue with your training would be my answer. There's somewhere in that dog's brain where he thinks he's got an option. Um, you know, is it on a cripple? Some dogs, if the duck is crippled and freshly dead and flapping a little bit, the dog will struggle picking it up or be weirded out by it. That I'm less concerned with. You just have to do more training with birds that have been shot or are shackled um, to help get him over that. If it's literally like, nah, not today. That's, yeah, I'm good. Now that tells, go ahead. Well, I was going to say like maybe if that's the issue and they're kind of just choosing to not listen, then I mean maybe. Yeah, you got to put that dog in a situation in training where they think they're at a hunt test. You got to get in a training day. Uh, with friends or a retriever club or whatever, you need to get in a situation where you can train the dog because you can't train at a hunt test. You're screwed, basically. 
Yeah, somewhere in your training, bud, there's a breakdown in force fetch and everything. So, well, that's kind of what I was going to say is like if if in training the dog is kind of just yeah. like it knows and does it sometimes, but is choosing not to because he's kind of well, just being then, a jerk. Then there's like, another thing like you could think your dog's perfect in training and you'd bring it to me and I'd be like, Psh, this is this is the problem, this is the problem, this is the problem. You know, does he fumble the dog th- or excuse me, does the dog fumble the duck five times? on the way back from every retrieve, you know, is he going out, picking that bird up and then just screwing around on the way back with it? That is a problem. And that could be poor work ethic. That could be like him manipulating the situation right? where that you got a breakdown in your force fetch. You got a breakdown in your training. You need to take a step back, build back up and then tackle. Cause what's going to happen is he's going to learn at a test. He can get away with the murder and now at tests, he's he's test wise. So fix it in training. I probably wouldn't run any more tests for a little while. Get that stuff nipped in a bud. Join a retriever club. Go train with a pro, and uh, see so if he's you been can doing that for seven months. So doing what for seven months? Seven months at a pro and training at home, and they do mock test setups. There's a little follow up they sent. Oh, nice. Ugh. Uh, that's tough. Yeah, dude. I mean, I'm I guess sorry. It's, it's, I, it's yeah, tough if you're not seeing it. You it's know? tough that I'm not seeing it, but it's also it. Hey, at the end of the day, they're still a dog. Like they're uh they're an animal that does have a mind of its own, and I, I don't know. I I don't know who your pro is. You don't have to tell me who your pro is, but there's got to be something somewhere where you can do. Like you're not up the creek without a paddle. There is a solution to this. It's a junior dog. It's a younger dog. You have options to succeed. You just have to build the build it. So take your time, be patient, and keep at it. I mean, you'll get it. Yeah, absolutely. Shoot, if I could tally all the times I've failed over the course of my years doing this for dumb things like that, where you're like, I, I don't know, I, I don't know why that that dog did that right there. I, I have no idea. They just were acting like a dog. So. Don't take it personally. Train, keep it up, and you'll you'll get it. Yeah, for sure. Um, had a really good question. Uh, so last well last week's episode, we talked about how Huey, uh, German short hair pointer, was running some Navda test. Uh, they said thank you. Nice. You're welcome. Follow uh, up on that. Let us know. I mean, yeah, I'm sorry it wasn't a better answer. Well, we'll uh, work on it. Go on, we'll work on it together. So somebody had a, a, a question about um, the duck search. Can you give a quick mini recap on what a duck search is at a utility test? And then, like, what was the sequence of training and how you would, like, layer on top of that to get, like, how do we start a duck search? Looking and then good. how do we – yeah, so. Nice. All right, so I'm going to throw this out there. I am a retriever trainer. I'm not a pointer trainer. I train pointers. So – a lot of what I do is a little bit differently than what like the NAVDA people do. My methodologies of how to get a dog to do A, B, and C are retriever based. So they may train it differently than I do. Like a NAVDA or a pointer. Can you put that? Um, but basically how I do it is force fetch the dog. I force the dog to a pile on land. I take the dog to water and I force the dog to water. So you're turning pressure on, they get in the water, pressure's turned off, it's a short, 
retrieve, and they learn that getting in the water is a positive experience, and they get success at the other end. Then I go to a pond where the other side of the bank is not very far. Because um, in, in NAB, the, the duck search, so I got ahead of myself. A duck search is you're at a swamp. You, Kevin knocked a bird down. He called me and the dog over and is like, dude, I don't know where it went. It's over there somewhere. So I can't run a blind retrieve because I don't know where the duck is. So you just send the dog and he has to basically do his best to hunt the entire swamp and leave no stone unturned to try and find this wounded game. So how do we do that? So I start like a retriever. I force to a pile on land. I force to water. So he learns that getting in the water is the only option. And I praise. Then I set him up for success. Every time I send him in the water for a duck search, he needs to find a duck and he needs to find it in a relatively short order. I don't want him hunting in the beginning for very long. I want him to go out and find birds. You can do dead birds or you can do shackled live birds. Some young dogs are not great with live birds, so it spooks them. And now you're up the creek without a paddle. Other dogs, it increases the drive and it helps you as a trainer get them to do more and longer searches because they're like, there is a live duck that I cannot wait to chase. So you're either going to use dead birds or shackle birds and you're going to salt and pepper the whole freaking swamp. So they can't help but run into a duck. You're also going to put them on the downwind side of it. So they're swimming into the wind. And they can get a nose full. So you want to send them across. They're successful. They find a bird. You want to send them across. They're successful. They find a bird. And then they, they learn the next time they go out, uh, it wasn't directly across. I had to hunt a little bit. And then I had to hunt a little more and a little more and a little more. And then you're hiding them in different spots and different swamps. And the the number one thing I find is they need to be successful. They need to build confidence. And they need to know they cannot quit. If they come back to me without a duck, it's bad news bears. That's where your background and foundation of forcing to a pile, forcing to water comes into place. And then they have no, they have no choice but to keep hunting. And because they keep hunting, they're rewarded with a duck. That's it. I mean, that's how I did it. And that's how I've done it for the few dogs I've done. Um, I think it's probably similar to the nav to people, but if I saw, if I had to guess, some of the dogs who didn't do as well weren't properly forced to water and they thought they could be okay if they came back without the bird. And, and consequentially, they didn't do well. So Huey knew, hey, I didn't find it yet. I can't come back. I'm going to stay out here until I find it. And that's that. Yeah. I uh, had another good one from our buddy Nate. Um, so appreciate the question. That's awesome, man. Um, how do you guys teach your dogs angle backs? Are there certain drills you like to use? All right, angle backs. So overall, I don't really do any drills for angle backs. I just do them when I'm running blinds. And then through time and repetition and running blinds, they learn to cast with me and where I'm pointing them. There is a drill that I will do if a dog is struggling or it's a good little tune-up drill to change some direction. And it's 
basically once you're done with T pattern and you are kind of running blinds already, you can set this up. So you've got, um, you got a back pile and then angled off of that to the right is another pile and then angled off of the left side is a left pile. And so they've got to go past the middle pile to get to the angle back left pile or whatever. So I'll teach those piles to the dogs and I use white poles and I make it very easy and successful in the beginning. Um, and, and I'll like set them at the pitcher's mound and I'll angle back, right. Good dog. Come back uh, straight left back. So now they got to go to the back pile. Then I will, um, angle left and then our straight right and then an angle left and then an angle right and i'll switch it all up but that that's a drill so the angle back piles are further back than the normal back pile um it's kind of hard to describe like probably a little diagram would help but anywho maybe we can maybe next time when we do instagram live i can have like a whiteboard or something yeah it's funny you say that i actually uh had somebody ask about puppies and things like that and uh we were going back and forth and he's like you know what would be really cool is if you guys had a youtube which we do check us out on youtube lone duck outfitters but then also if we had something to sh- like demonstrate and kind of like visually show during yeah. our instagram lives so we i mean we've talked about it it's just one a of lot. these days yeah. we'll do it you know but, it's yeah. nine thirty. yeah know, whiteboard that was kind of our deal but um, we had another really good question about, uh, first, first year hunting with your dog. Are there drills that you do in the middle of the hunting season to kind of keep them dialed in or do sure. you stop training cause we're hunting sort of thing? No. So training to me, training never stops. So the whole life of this dog, I'm working to improve it and I'm working to keep it sharp and I'm working to keep it in shape mentally and physically in the game so steadiness drills um getting in and out of the mow marsh and staying in it and maybe washing your truck while he's hanging out in the mow marsh or uh, a placemat or a tree ladder stand or you know taking it on a boat ride um but steadiness is always one of those things that you can always keep up on um what are some other drills, Kevo? I don't know. I, you know, I think hunting. I just zone out when you're talking. But, wow, nice. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I During the hunting season, they should still be getting marks. They should still be getting exercised. They should still be um, obedience. Like, obedience for a gun dog is, is the utmost. So don't let that slack. Um those are some of the things that I during hunting I mean, we season I would like about. honoring and stuff like that. I mean, sure. a lot of times. And then just... why not? Why wouldn't you keep progressing? Like, yeah. hey, do you have like, do you have to stop doing mini TNT pattern because it's hunting season? No, you can keep doing that. Just don't expect them to do it in a hunting scenario. Train it and then go hunt, and then come back the next day and train it and then go hunt. And like, you don't have to expect them to be perfect handling blinds when you're still on T pattern and training. But, you know, all those things you can do while you're hunting. But for drill work, I, I would say steadiness drills in and out of the places you're going to hunt. You know, Momar stands, dog stands, boats, ground blinds, 
stuff like that. Yep. Maintaining steadiness and then maintain obedience and then maintain their physical condition. Their, their good shape. Keep them in shape. Um, had a, had another good one come in from uh, Brett. How young is too young for an e-collar? i got a six-month-old pup, and I've been conditioning her with a vibrate setting. She seems to understand it. I'm nervous to actually add in a real uh, stimulation. All right. Good question. Um, at six months old, I start formal obedience, and I'll start collar conditioning at that age. I don't use vibrate. I don't know what collar he has. Maybe he can write in. But to on my collar, there's only one level for vibrate. If you could, it could be on zero, or it could be on 127, or zero or eight, and that vibrate is the exact same level. So again, I'm gonna re re say it because a lot of people, no offense, bro, think that vibrate. Oh, it's it's not shocking them. It's vibrating. Well. The whole point of giving a correction is scaling it. So if it's a really, really light correction and I just need a little bit, I want to scale it so it's a very little bit. If I need a harsh correction, I need to scale it so it's harsher to get the desired response. Least amount of pressure to get the desired response. If your collar can scale the vibrate, okay, cool. You can do it. That's fine with me. But it's no different than the real stimulation of an e-collar. It's just a stimulation. If you go to a, a physical therapist and they put those, um, oh, what are it? Stim machines, whatever, stem machines, stim <laughs> yeah, machines, whatever they're called. I used to have one and, and you just like turn the dial up and it pulsates your muscles. That's all it does. It's, it's feels exactly the same. So you can dial it up and you can dial it down. And, you're not hurting the dog if you've taught it properly and you've scaled it and you've taken your time. It's not going to freak the dog out one bit. Whereas a vibration where you can't scale that and give them a very low level vibrate or a very high level vibrate, if it's only one, well, what if the dog isn't doing anything that wrong and you vibrate him? Oh, dang, what was that? And then like, Huh, he's chasing a squirrel across the road and you vibrate him? Ha! <laughs> See ya! That yeah, does not matter at all. Right across the road. And you can't turn it up. It's only one level. So I never do vibrate. And I don't encourage my clients or my obedience clients or anybody. Vibrate doesn't, if you can't scale the vibration stimulation, it is no good. You want to use and train. So I start with here. I train them to here. I, then I do heel and all that stuff yep with the stimulation and you use the least amount of pressure the like if you got a collar from one, 0 to 127 start out at 5 10 15 16 17 20 24 28 30 you you're just incrementally not uh like increasing it you're not going from 10 to 25 to 45 that's too big um to, to where you're getting the desired response. The dog's listening to you. Complying with the commands. Stuff like that. You're teaching. Yeah. Oh, you good? Yeah. No, I think right. that, that's really cool. Uh, Great question, though. I hope I wasn't, you know, I don't know, a jerk about it. But I hope I explained why I don't use Vibrate thoroughly 
so that you understand where I'm coming from. But no, for sure. Um, we had another really good question uh, when signing up for hunt tests and stuff like that. Uh, said thank you. Appreciate clearing up for that. Nice. Yes, sir. Um, lost my train of thought. Oh, hunt uh, tests. Do you like to go first? Do you like to go last? Do you like? Do you get to choose? Maybe some people know or don't know. Like, how do you? you what's don't your get go to. Too? Yeah, good call. You don't get to choose. <laughs> so you just jumped right on that phone like you're gonna text somebody. You're fired up. Oh, he's so excited. Everyone, his fingers just got really excited. Um. All right. So hunt test. You don't get to choose. Okay. So. There is what's called a marshal, and the marshal sets up the running order. Well, AKC or HRC sets up the running order, so you might be, like, Bob Owens might be dog number 7, 19, 22, and 35. Well, but I also have three other places to go that day, so they're going to kind of bump me up. So I'm actually going to be running, you know, I'm going to be 2nd, then 4th, then 6th, and 11th. But my numbers still remain my number, right? I'm still dog number seven, but I'm running in the second spot, if that makes sense. So the marshal is going to dictate that to keep the flow of the test rolling. But to answer the question, so since I don't get a choice, I just have to do what the marshal tells me and what the running order is and like where we are in, in the day. I, I don't get a choice of where and when I run. But the rule of thumb is, on land, it's better to go later. On water, it's better to go sooner. So if you're somewhere in the middle, if it's a 20-dog test and you're dog 8 to 12, that's pretty good. The reason why, think about this. If everyone can kind of like think for a second. Close your eyes. Close your eyes and envision. You're throwing marks on land. And the duck is landing on land in this general vicinity. If you run first... On land, there's going to be one duck there. When you run 10th, there are going to have been 10 ducks that land in that general vicinity, and it creates more of a scent area. So your dog who runs 10th or 11th is going to have a heavily scented area to keep them in the fall area and find their duck. So on land, it's better to run middle to later. Now think about water. What happens to ducks when they've been in water a bunch and they're dead? Kevin, it's like a gross sponge. We actually had trouble with this with Buck. Long time ago, where they oh. don't want to pick it up. Oh, is that where you're going, or yeah, not where you're going, dude? No, not where I was going. Oh, never but mind. Good call. I mean, some dogs who don't like nasty, soaking wet ducks, you might have a problem. But again, that would go back to one of our earlier questions of force fetch. And Buck was my first dog. I went back and fixed it, but you know, take a step backwards to go forwards. Anywho, the real answer, Kevin is when you throw a duck in the water and it becomes like waterlogged, it's going to not necessarily sink, but it's going to float very low. If you get a fresh duck, it's going to float high. Fair enough. I guess that makes sense too. So when you've got a dog that runs sooner on water, it's going to be the ducks are going to be fresher and floating high on the water and the dog can like see it and mark it better and it's not going to be as hard to find later in the day later in the running order that duck those ducks are going to get a little bit nastier and they're going to float a little bit lower that answers that you got any parting words for the wonderful people this evening did we answer all the ones that came through yeah 
Oh, wow. Look at us. You didn't even know I was going through all those. No, you did a good job, man. Look at that. I learned to read. <laughs> no, that was um, that was a really good episode, in my opinion, for the questions. Really, really good questions. Um, I think hunting season is here, okay? And the question that that person asked about what do we do during the season <clears throat> is clutch. And it's the same thing we do out of season. We train. Have fun with your dog. Take them out. Do things with them. Keep their cardio up. Feed them good food. Exercise them. Train them. And also don't expect them to do things on the hunt that maybe you haven't prepared them for. And then also, like last hunt with Lincoln, we talked about a dog's first few hunts. It's a teaching experience for the dog. So give them a little grace. Like, obviously don't let them run amok and be disobedient and a jerk, but give them some grace that this is, a, you're here to teach them. This is what we want to do. This is what we train for. I expect you to do it and let's have fun doing it. So, um, as in closing, I would say, good luck this hunting season. Keep your questions coming. Thank you for tuning in. Make sure to subscribe and give us the old five-star rating. If you give us less, I swear to the heavens and that woodcock that came down upon me. Oh, I will find you. So give us the old five-star. Thank you for tuning in. And until next time, thank you for joining the Lone Dogs Gun Dog Chronicle. Hey, if you haven't done it already, jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outers. If you enjoy the show and want to want to support the show, if this show has helped you and your dog grow together, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer and you get more one-on-one -on -one from me. You get content that doesn't hit Instagram or YouTube and it enters you to win a free hunt with me and Kevin in Missouri this duck season. So jump on, links in the description. We'd be happy to have you and love to help you. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.